All right, let's go ahead and get into the teaching. And we're going to be looking at, we're going through our journey, chronological journey through the Gospels. So this year, the attempt to take all four Gospels, to mesh them together in order, and to lay out the events of the life of Christ and his ministry as given to us in the four Gospels. And sometimes we will, as today, just be in one gospel. Today is the gospel of John because this is after Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, had went through the temptation, the three temptations that were presented to him by Satan that's written to us in scripture in the gospels of Matthew and Luke that we looked at last week. He returned from the temptation, having already been baptized by John the Baptist, spent 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness. And John, then, while that is going on, he has been preaching and baptizing and continued his ministry while Jesus was gone for 40 days or more, but he was 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And last week we looked at the Levites and the priests who had been sent to question John about who in the world are you? They wanted to know. The rulers of Israel wanted to know who are you? And they asked, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And John said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. And they said, who are you then? And John's response was, I'm a voice of one crying from the wilderness. That response coming from Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, the prophecy that he pulled from. But in John 1, 23, his answer was, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So then they ask him, then why do you baptize? If you're the voice, sounds like a TV show or something, but just know that the real voice was coined in the Bible way before any current day things going on. If you are the voice, then why do you baptize? And instead of answering that question, we looked at this last week as well. John said, there's one who has stood among us whose sandals straps I'm not worthy to loose. He is preferred before me. And so he began to teach them about the Messiah, about Jesus. That was his ministry. John was the forerunner of Christ. And then somewhere in those questions, Jesus comes walking back on the scene. And John, as we closed last week, looked up and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So last week we looked at two days of four days that John gives us in John chapter 1. Day 1 began in John 1, 19 through 28. Day 2, of all of which we looked at last week, beginning in John 1, 29 through 34. And now we're going to get into day 3. Sometimes doing a chronological journey through the Bible is a little easy because John gives us four days in the life of John the Baptist and Jesus and five of his disciples that we will meet today. 
So today, we are going to see a message that I entitled, Come and See, from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. We're going to see two who followed Jesus, verses 35 through 39. One who brought others to Jesus, verses 40 through 42. One who proclaimed Jesus, verses 43 through 46. And one who believed in Jesus, verses 47 through 51. I want to go ahead and read our first point, ask God's blessing upon the teaching of his word today, and also blessing upon the gifts that are given here at the church to pray for the offering. And uh, we'll read our first point and we'll get into the teaching of God's word after our prayer. Reading from John's gospel, chapter one, verses 35 through 39. On the third day, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day, Now it was about the 10th hour. Father, we pray for just the opening of your word of God into our hearts, our minds today, Lord. The empowering of your Holy Spirit as promised to us in your word from the gospel of John that the Holy Spirit would come and teach us all things and bring to remembrance those things which you have spoken to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would do such for us this day as we look through this passage from the Gospel of John this morning. Let us not only read about an event that took place in history, but Lord, let us be encouraged and learn from these things of how we might be able to share our faith with others. And as we'll learn today, Lord, sometimes it's as simple as saying two or three words for someone to follow Jesus. So we pray, Lord, that you would teach us in your word this morning. We also ask, Lord, that you would bless the gifts given to this place. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise for 30 years of ministry here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa this coming December. You've allowed this place to exist for nearly 30 years, and we give you praise for that. It is the work, Lord, of your hand. We are your children. We pray your blessing, Lord, upon the gifts given. May we use the offerings, the tithes for your glory, for the kingdom work that you've called us to. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here we are. It's the third day. And John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. And having fulfilled his ministry as the forerunner of Christ and seeing Jesus come toward them, he pointed to Jesus And you could just say that maybe he nudged his two disciples, pointed over to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, we are later told that John would be told, John the Baptist would be told that Jesus is baptizing more than him. And John would later respond to this in John 3, verse 30, saying, He must increase. I must decrease. We see the beginning of that decreasing. John's ministry has been fulfilled. He has introduced 
Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And now he points two of his own disciples and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Like John, we should be pointing others to Jesus. And it's not just about how many people attend our church or how many followers we might have in our ministry, like on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, which I've never used, but Twitter. It's about pointing others to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the disciples, in turn, they followed Jesus. In verse 38, it says, Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said, Rabbi. And they then answered, Where are you staying? So we really don't know the expression, the tone that Jesus used when he saw the two disciples following them and how he said, what do you seek? We always have Jesus in speaking in maybe soft and pleasant tones. When I was at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa in 1992 to 1994, and we lived out there and I was working on the grounds and Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the church, his number two, his second was Romaine, L.E. Romaine. They just called him Romaine, Pastor Romaine. And uh, if you were to approach Pastor Romaine and he would turn around and he did to me once. It was the last day that we were there. 1994, we were packed up, getting ready to drive out. And I went to the office and I asked, I said, is Romaine here today? It was on a Tuesday. Weird that I remember this. And they said, no, it's his day off. And I came out of the office and I saw him walking across the grounds and I went back and found him back in one of the shops back there where the mechanics fixed the equipment and such. And he was talking to someone and he turned around and he said, what do you want? That's how Romaine was to guys. It's just his nature. He was tough on the guys. He was soft with the ladies. But I saw him melt that day when I responded and said, I just wanted to say goodbye to my pastor. And he's like, oh, let's pray. So he melted on me that day. But the wrath of Romaine. I don't think Jesus said that to the two who were following after him. What do you say? I just don't picture Jesus doing that. He could have, uh, a rabbi. Maybe. That Greek word for rabbi is didaskalos. It means to teach or to instruct. It's translated here as rabbi or teacher. And we find it only used one other time in the Gospel of John in all the New Testament in John 3, 2, when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and Nicodemus saying to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. I don't know if the disciples knew how to respond to Jesus's question. Where are you staying? What do you want? Where are you staying? I think they were looking for words. They couldn't even correctly phrase what was in their heart. They were not sure. All they knew is that the man that they had been following and serving under, John the Baptist, pointed them to the Lamb of God 
And they knew that they needed to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, come and see. His answer. And I believe that Jesus met them at the faith level of where they were at. They didn't quite know anything at this point about Jesus. Perhaps they were there when they saw John baptize Jesus. But the spirit descending upon Jesus as a dove. It appears as you read through the gospel that that was only seen by Jesus and John. It wasn't that everybody saw that event take place like, oh, yeah, there's the Messiah. Not everybody heard the voice from heaven. It was for the select few at that time. But they knew they needed to be following Jesus. And I believe that Jesus met them right where their faith level was at. All they knew and all they could muster was, where are you staying? Someone like Thomas, after Jesus died, and the ten disciples said, we have seen the risen Savior, and Thomas saying, unless, John 20, verse 25, unless I see his hands and the prints of the nails, put my finger into the prints of his nails, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then eight days later, Jesus appeared before all of them, Thomas included. And Jesus said, here you go, Thomas. Here's the nail scars in my hands. Here's my side. Thomas responding at that time in John 20, 28, my Lord, my God. Jesus met Thomas right where he was at. We know Thomas is doubting Thomas because of this episode that's given to us in Scripture. But like John and Andrew that we find here in the text, although they have not yet been named for us, and John will never be named in his gospel because he never names himself in his gospel, that when he refers of himself, he will say the disciple whom Jesus loved. But here it's believed that it's the apostle John or would become the apostle John. Andrew, Peter's brother, will see that that is him in a moment. Not knowing rightly how to respond, they asked this question. Jesus said, come and see, in verse 39, and they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. There is a question from the scholars of whether it's Roman time or, Greek or uh, Jewish time that John is referring to here. And so it's really a question of, was it 10 a.m. Roman time? or 4 p.m. Jewish time. The important thing is that John and Andrews remained with Jesus the remainder of that day, whether it was from morning, which most agree would be the case, that there early in the morning at 10 a.m., Jesus said, come and see, and they hung out with Jesus for the rest of the day. Just think of it, though. One day with Jesus impacted their lives so much that they would follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. One day, one day with Jesus changed the rest of their lives. Proverbs 8, 17 tells us, God speaking, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Jesus did not put them off till the next day, but challenged them to follow him that very hour. Come and see. And they could have said, oh, no, we don't want to be a trouble to you today. Maybe another day, Lord. But they were willing to go. They spent the day with Jesus 
It changed their lives. Second Corinthians 6 2 reminds us in an acceptable time. I have heard you in the day of salvation. I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When Jesus calls to our hearts saying, come and see, we should be like John and Andrew and respond immediately. When Jesus speaks, if we're willing to respond, that response that we give to Jesus, though our faith may be weak at that moment, it could change our lives from that day forward. And are you willing to follow the Lamb of God all the days of your life? I know I am. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor John, you're old. You don't have too many days left, so easy for you to say. But I have been following Jesus. I accepted Jesus when I was seven years old. And so I spent a majority of my life following, coming, and seeing. So one brought others to Jesus, talking about Andrew here, verses 40 through 42. Let's pick up the first two verses of this section, verses 40 and 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So here we're clearly told that Andrew was one who was following Jesus at this time. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, he immediately began with John following Jesus. He spent the day with Jesus. After that day, he went and found his brother. He went to find family. And he said to his brother, We have found the Messiah. That is a Hebrew origin of the Hebrew word Messiah, it would be Mashiach in the Hebrew, and it, it means Messiah or the Christ, and it's only found this way twice in the Gospel of John. It's found again with the woman at the well when she said in John 4:25, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus responded to her, John 4, 26, I who speak to you am he. John tells us that Messiah means the Christ. Christ is the Greek word Christos. And it means the anointed one. We have found the anointed one. James and John were fishermen with their father Zebedee as we go through the Gospels. We learn of this, that they were also partners with Peter and Andrew, who were also fishermen, two sets of brothers, became some of the first followers of Jesus Christ. And we discover of Andrew, though his brother Peter would be the individual that would seem to become the most pronounced of the 12 disciples. Andrew was a guy who just loved bringing people to Jesus. We find it here in John chapter 1. First thing he did was go find his brother and said, we found the Messiah. But Andrew is also the one when Jesus fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6. He brought the boy with five loaves and two fish, John 6, 8. It was Andrew who brought the 
young boy to Jesus. When Philip had some Greeks approach him in John 12, 20 through 22, Philip, they wanted to see Jesus. Philip went and found Andrew and Andrew said, yeah, let's go take him to Jesus. It was Andrew who brought the Greeks along with Philip to see Jesus. He always loved in the Gospel of John. We always see Andrew bringing others to Jesus. Isn't that something that we can do? Talk about Jesus, introduce others to Jesus. We may not feel that we're effective witnesses for Christ. We may feel that we lack the right words to say, and quite often we may, but we can invite others to meet Jesus. And one of the first that Andrew invited was his brother. Sometimes just our family. Begin with the family. Begin with those friends that you know the best. Sometimes it For Andrew, it only took five words. We have found the Messiah. And Peter responded. Verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, looking at Peter, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So as we journey through the Gospels, we'll discover that Peter, when they list the disciples, they'll always list Peter's name first when he's listed among the twelve. And yet Peter, we find also in the Gospels, was a guy who often made mistakes as a follower of Jesus Christ. He quite often would speak before thinking. Anybody ever guilty of that? Though I wish I wouldn't have said that. That's Peter. Sometimes he would step out before comprehending the danger, thinking about a boat on the Sea of Galilee. It was after he stepped out, he began to look around and see the winds and the waves. And he got his eyes off Jesus. Other times he would sleep when he should be praying. Anybody guilty? I am. Or pull a sword. I'm going to battle for Jesus. When Jesus actually had told them prior to that, all of you are going to scatter because of me this night. Jesus actually gave the 12 disciples' permission to scatter at his arrest. And Peter said, "Ah, even if all the rest scatter, I will die for you. And I think he wanted to prove it. He pulled a sword. He cut off somebody's ear. Didn't have a great aim. But I'm so thankful that the gospel writers recorded Peter's failures because Peter's mishaps of faith give me great hope. Jesus would later say to Jesus, Jesus would later say to Simon Peter, Peter, Simon, Rocky, Cephas, Caiaphas. He had a lot of different names he's called by. Luke 22, 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So Simon was his given name by his parents. Jesus called him Cephas, which is told that it means a rock. His given name, Simon, comes from the Hebrew word Shema. Remember that passage from Deuteronomy 6.4? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That portion of scripture is known as the Shema 
Simon comes from that uh, roots of that word Shema. It means to hear. His name means to hear. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10:17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Kephas is the Greek word. It's an Arabic word, actually, that means a rock that's told us here. He's also known as Peter to us in Scripture. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I say to you that you are Peter, you are Petros. And on this rock, this Petra, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Petros speaks about a rock or a cliff that is part of a larger structure. Peter, you are Petros. You're part of this larger structure. Petros is the part of that structure, but Petra is a massive rock, a sturdy foundation stone. And although Peter was a leader in the early church, he was only part of that early structure of the church. And those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, we continue to build upon that rock, that Petra, to this day. That rock is Christ. In Mark 12, 10 and 11, it says, Have you not read this in Scripture? The stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. Mark 12, 10 through 11 is, actually comes from Psalm 118.22, speaking about the chief cornerstone, that Jesus Christ, that chief cornerstone. 1 Peter 2.4, Peter would write, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And I ask the question, have you been building your life upon the chief cornerstone, the living stone, Jesus Christ? Peter, that day, began to lay his life upon that stone of faith. Petra, that rock, Jesus Christ. Now we find one who proclaims Jesus in verses 43 through 46. First looking at 43 and 44. On the following day, so day four, four days in the life of John the Baptist and Jesus given to us here in John's Gospel, chapter one. On the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Jesus, on that fourth day, went and found Philip. And with two words, he simply said, follow me. John tells us that Philip was from the same hometown of Andrew and Peter from the town of Bethsaida. It's a town that means house of fish. They are not quite sure the exact location of this, but we have moved quite a bit here because this is actually, they believe that Bethsaida was on the east side of the Jordan River on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. John, originally baptizing on the south side of the Sea of Galilee in the Jordan River. If you do not know it, the Jordan River is one of the is a tributary that feeds into the Sea of Galilee from the north, drains out of the Sea of Galilee from the south, 
drains down to the Dead Sea, and that's where it stops. There's an interesting thing. It's not my sermon notes, but it's worth noting. The Bible describes the Sea of Galilee, and to this day it's true, as teeming with life. It's fed in the north from the Jordan River, which exits from the south of the Sea of Galilee. It has water flowing into it, water flowing out of it, and it's full of life. That river continues to flow until it hits the Dead Sea. It only has water flowing in, nothing flowing out. And it's dead. We've been there. Its salt content is incredible. But one day the Bible says it will teem with life once again. But the Sea of Galilee becomes a great picture of what faith is. When we have the truth of Jesus Christ flowing into us and then flowing out of us, we too can teem with life. But if all we do is allow God's word to flow in, never any outlet, never sharing Christ with others, we can become dead as well, dead in our faith. Just a bonus lesson there to think about today. So Bethsaida, believed to be on the east side of the Jordan River, north of the Sea of Galilee, but the name meaning house of fish, so we could see the fishermen. And it was really not too far away, less than 10 to 20 miles from Capernaum, which became the home base of Jesus while he did ministry in the upper Galilee. We'll get into that later. But they were not far apart from one another one on the east side of the Jordan River, one on the west side of the Jordan River, but both north in the Sea of Galilee. So he's from the hometown of Andrew and Philip. And we have less information about Philip in Scripture. John mentions him here in chapter 1. He also mentions him in chapter 6 at the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus lifted up his eyes in John 6, 5 through 7 seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And Philip responded to this test that Jesus was giving him, saying, verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have a little. In John 12, verses 20 through 22, I'd already mentioned this. There were certain Greeks who wanted to see Jesus right before he would go to the cross. And Philip found Andrew and they brought him to Jesus. Philip was part of that. And John 14, 8 and 9, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long yet you do not know me, Philip? He said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? These are the mentions of Philip in Scripture. Jesus, though, called Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, and Philip, all with two words, follow me. And I just want to get that into our minds today, that sometimes we don't need a dissertation to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. 
We don't need a long thing prepared. Sometimes we just need as little as two or three words. Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John as his fishermen in Matthew 4, 19 and 20. He said, follow me. And Matthew 4, 20 says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. As far as Matthew, the tax collector, Matthew 9, 9, Jesus passed by Matthew when he was sitting at his tax office. And he said, follow me. And Matthew arose and began following him. And Jesus calls for lost sinners to follow him. The word of God says in Luke 19.10, Jesus speaking, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And no matter what city we might be from, when Jesus calls, are we willing to follow? And it's not just about coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that they can be a further call of ministry in our hearts and our lives. If I did not believe this, I would not be your pastor today. I was saved, as I said, when I was seven years old. I was not called to ministry until I was 28 years old. I believe that the Lord can have a further call upon our lives, and we need to be willing to follow when Jesus calls. So Philip found his friend Nathaniel. We can assume as a friend. The Bible doesn't tell us they were family. Verses 45 and 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we've found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Three words, come and see. All right, that's enough talk. I've told you, now come and see. It's up to you if you want to come and see. But Philip found his friend and said, we have found him whom Moses in the law. Also, the prophets wrote about Moses in the law. It's referring to Deuteronomy 18, 15 and verse 18, where Moses told the second generation who came out of Egypt before they went into the promised land. He told them, Deuteronomy 18:15, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. From your brethren, him you shall hear. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from your brethren. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. The prophets, there are many prophecies. We have Jesus with the two on the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24, 27, the Bible tells us that Jesus began teaching them, Luke 24, 27 says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That's all it says about that. He didn't list any of the scriptures that Jesus talked about. He said all. Now they have, the theologians have counted 330 prophecies from the Old Testament that refer to the first coming of Jesus. Jesus coming, fulfilling them all. All that the prophets spoke. The prophets to this day have over 500 things that have been written concerning the Lord's second coming. And all will be fulfilled. 
So there's a lot of passages from the prophets that we could talk about. Here's one. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his day, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Philip simply said to Nathaniel, all that Moses and the prophets spoke about, we have found Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Nathaniel seemingly in maybe a smart aleck way, said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? But there could be something else at play with his words. They knew that the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Euphrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, one who is a ruler in Israel. They knew, where's the Messiah to be born? The wise men asked. And King Herod asked the scribes and the priests, and they said, we know this one. Micah 5, 2, Bethlehem. But the Bible also refers to Christ coming from Egypt, Hosea 11, 1. And the Bible also refers to Christ coming from Nazareth, Matthew 2.23. So it could be that he was just not necessarily saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? The Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. You got the city wrong, Philip. Check your Bible. Have you ever done that to anybody? Hey, you got that? Check the Bible. It could have been as simple as that. Not Nazareth, but Philip said, He also said the son of Joseph. Joseph was his earthly stepfather. But Joseph was a descendant of David. And in Joseph's lineage, Jesus became a rightful heir to the throne of God. Through Mary, who was also a descendant of David, Jesus had the bloodline to the throne of David. But Joseph came from David through Solomon making Jesus the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. And although the Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament, and it may not have been held in high regard in Jesus' day, one of the authors wrote of this, it is supposed from the words of Nathaniel that here in John 1.46, the city of Nazareth was held in great disrepute either because it is said the people of Galilee were rude or less cultivated in class, were largely influenced by the Gentiles who mingled with them because of their lower type of morale or moral or religious character, but there seems to be no other sufficient reason for this supposition. The Jews believed, according to Micah 5.2, that the birthplace of the Messiah would take place in Bethlehem and nowhere else. And so Nathaniel held the same opinion. And this might be the reason he said, could anything good come from Nazareth? But Philip responded, come and see, come and check it out. 
And he was willing to follow. Sometimes sharing our faith can be as simple as using two or three effective words. And we close out in verses 47 through 51. We find that Nathaniel becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, begins that faith journey with Jesus. In verses 47 through 49, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said, Behold, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Although Nathanael may have doubted his friend, he was willing to come and see. And that willingness can change a person's life for the rest of their lives. What I say in our first point, because John and Andrew were willing to follow Jesus one day, they would follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. Sometimes we just need to get our friends here and then allow the work of the Holy Spirit to do the rest. So Jesus revealed his knowledge of Nathaniel. He first of all said, you are an Israelite indeed. Alethos is the Greek word. It means truly. Sometimes it's translated in the Gospels as verily, verily, truly, truly, amen, amen. And so it is a sense of saying, most certainly, you are an Israelite, most certainly, Nathaniel. Dolos is that word for not doulos. Doulos means servant. This is dolos. In the Greek, it means deceit. And it's a word that means abate, one who is treacherous or cunning. He said, in you, there's no, no deceit, no cunningness. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22, to this you were called because Jesus also suffered, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit, no cunningness, no treachery, found in the mouth of Jesus Christ. We're to follow in his footsteps. Nathaniel asked Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus said, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. Know that Jesus knows the secret things of our hearts. 1 Corinthians 14, 21, thus the secret things of his heart are revealed. So falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among us. This is talking about someone coming into the church and through the preaching of the word of God or maybe by a word of prophecy, by a brother or sister, the Lord is revealing things that people in the church could not know, but the message of the gospel is penetrating their hearts. And they fall down on their face and they worship and they say that God is truly among you. He also said, Rabbi, perhaps Nathaniel had heard John testify, this is the Son of God. He called him the Son of God. He called him the King of Israel. He connected Jesus to this messianic prophecies. Zechariah 9.9, 9, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. And then Jesus said to him, verses 50 through 51, we close out in our text today. Jesus answered and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus loved that title about himself. It's found 83 times in the Gospels. He more often than not just simply referred to himself as the Son of Man. Nathaniel believed because of Jesus' knowledge of him. But one day, heaven would be opened. He would see angels ascending and descending. And this takes us back to the Old Testament, to the account of Jacob when he slept and dreamed one night when Jacob was on the run in Genesis 28. And Genesis 28, 12 and 13 tells us, He dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up upon the earth. Its top reached the heavens. And the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, your God of Abraham, the God of your father, the God of Isaac and the land which you lie. I will give to you and your descendants. Jacob's ladder, which gives access to heaven, seen with angels ascending and descending upon it, is not a physical ladder, but it is the son of man. It is Jesus Christ. Nathaniel became a follower of Jesus Christ that day. We also know him in the Gospels as Bartholomew. We don't get much about him except this account here. He's named, of course, in the Gospel with the other Gospel writers. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us, tradition says, he preached in several countries, having translated the Gospel of Matthew into the language of India He propagated it in that country. And at length, he was cruelly beaten, then crucified by the idolaters. We need to know today that the bridge of heaven is not our good works. It's not some ladder. You're not going to make a rocket ship and fly to heaven. That bridge, that ladder is Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Today we've seen two who followed Jesus. And I asked the question, are you willing to follow the Lamb of God all the days of your life? One who brought others to Jesus, our second point. Are you building your lives upon the chief cornerstone, that living stone, Jesus Christ? One who proclaimed Jesus, Philip, who found his friend Nathaniel. Sometimes sharing our faith with others could be as simple as using two or three effective words. And finally, one who believed in Jesus, that bridge to heaven is not a ladder, but it is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. Like John and Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, are we willing to follow Jesus who paid the price of our sins all the days of our lives? It's my prayer that you are willing. 
And if Jesus is calling you today, if you're hearing his voice, I encourage you to respond to that this hour. The response we make could change our lives for the rest of our days upon this earth. As the worship team comes, Pastor Kevin's going to be down front this morning to pray with those who might have a prayer need. The rest we can stand together. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us this day. And we ask, Father, now bless us as we worship you. May we receive your word in our hearts. And Lord, if you've called and someone needs to respond, I pray, Lord, that they would come and see. Follow me. Whatever the call you might lay upon an individual's heart, that person knows. Lord, help them to be responsive to that call. This day we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.